Okay, our last uh, category of disorders in this chapter are disorders of development. And here your textbook addresses two uh, disorders, autism spectrum disorder and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. Um, these are two well-known disorders, and um, and you've probably known people who've had uh, some of these diagnoses. Um, and uh, that's part of the reason, I think, why these are covered here. There are other kinds of developmental disorders um, uh, that are diagnosed uh, in people, but these are some of the more common ones. Um, because they're so common, it, it is a little bit difficult to talk about them in a sense because they can involve a lot of different kinds of uh, or I should say a fairly wide range of symptoms, right? Um, so let's pick up with autism spectrum disorder, which I have on slide number 17. Autism spectrum disorder is, the name itself is actually new in the, in the diagnostic system, uh, in the DSM-4. Previously, it was actually four different diagnoses that, that were all combined into this diagnosis. And there's some good and bad things about that. Um, one of the good things is that it does finally acknowledge and recognize that these four disorders are related and that, um, you know, they're all kind of on a continuum or on a spectrum. And people have talked about autism symptoms as being on a spectrum for a good long time. Um, so there are, uh, so these different disorders are all combined now. But one of the difficulties with that is that this spectrum is very wide uh, in that, um, you know, some people with autism symptoms can be functioning at a very high level. I mean, this includes the diagnosis uh, of Asperger's disorder. Uh, Asperger's is not technically a uh, diagnostic name in the DSM system anymore. It's been folded into this diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. And so you can have people who used to have Asperger's now diagnosed with that autism spectrum disorder. And these can be folks who are, you know, have graduate degrees and they're working on very specialized research in very specific areas or something like that. At the other end of this continuum or spectrum of autism symptoms, at the more at the more severe end, you can have people who never developed the ability to speak or uh, never understand language and can't take care of themselves almost at all, right? So this is a huge <laughs> spectrum. Um, and so it is a little bit difficult um, uh, for me kind of to describe some of the symptoms of autism spectrum disorder because it can fall, um, you know, at so many different places along that continuum. But what all folks with autism spectrum disorder have in common are these two um, criteria that are listed on slide number 17, uh, deficits in social communication and social interaction, and that can show up in a lot of different ways, and also restricted repetitive patterns of behavior, interests, and activities. So, um, uh, you know, to give you a flavor of uh, how this can look, uh, for the first one, deficits in social communication and social interaction. You know, for some people with autism spectrum disorder, they don't seem interested in social interaction at all. They may be, um, you know, people will sometimes describe them as kind of being in their own world. They don't really seem to notice or care like if other kids are around or other kids get hurt or other kids are interested in stuff. Um, you know, a lot of times little kids, when they're playing with stuff, um, they'll find something cool and they'll want to share it with you and say, hey, look at this cool rock I found or whatever. Um, and people with autism spectrum disorder often 
aren't really interested in that social interaction part of it. They may be very interested in the item, in the rock itself, and they may, you know, be very in interested in that thing, but they're often not going to try to uh, share that with other people or connect with other people. Um, kids with autism spectrum disorder usually are not going to be real interested in other kids. They're often not going to be playing um, in imaginative kind of role-playing kinds of ways that a lot of kids do, you know, let's pretend that we're um, working at a restaurant and I'm cooking the food and you're serving the food and we're, you know, that kind of stuff uh, or anything like that. Um, kids with autism spectrum disorder are likely to be interested in the same kind of toys that kids without autism are, but they'll play with them in different ways. They'll often, you know, be very interested in the parts of toys and how things move or articulate or something like that. Um, uh, that's kind of in the next uh, uh, um, criterion here. But um, uh, let's see, um, at higher levels with deficits in social communication and social interaction, folks with autism spectrum disorder may, you know, have difficulty understanding other people's facial expressions or body language or figures of speech um, or things like that and may seem kind of concrete in their thinking. Um, um, if we go to uh, restricted repetitive patterns, um, uh, many times people with autism uh, are very fixed in their routines and and have trouble with with things when those routines change or if you know there's some need to make a last minute change in things that's often very difficult. Um, they may get very interested in very particular. Uh, topics. You know, you might have, uh, I don't know, a middle schooler with autism spectrum disorder who's like really interested in airplanes and he wants to know everything about airplanes. And whenever he talks to you, he wants to tell you about airplanes, right? Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. Um, a lot of times people with autism have very uh, restricted restrictive diets. Uh, they often don't like um, a wide variety of food. They'll often have very strict food preferences and end up eating the same kind of things over and over. Um, they may have uh, differences in sensory thresholds to where some particular sensations like sounds or light or whatever might seem like they're overpowering to the person and may even seem like it's causing them pain and distress. Um, on the other hand, they might have uh, uh, low levels of sensor sensation to some kinds of, um, input so that the person might actually be doing something that looks like it would hurt themselves, um, hitting their head or scratching or clawing at themselves. And, you know, an outside observer might be like, oh, well, you would think they would stop that because it would hurt, but they may not even be experiencing it at the same, uh, level as somebody else, right? So differences in sensation. Uh, again, it's um, difficult to talk about the symptoms here because it can uh, vary widely. Um, autism spectrum disorder seems to be becoming more common as years go by. There's a few things going on there. Um, one is certainly recognition uh, of autism spectrum disorder. Autism itself as a syndrome is much better known and recognized now than it was even 30 years ago. Um, people, you know, didn't really know about autism. And so if somebody, especially at the more severe end of the range of autism, if somebody showed these kind of symptoms, they tended to think that that person had like what they used to call mental retardation or something like that, right? And so they kind of missed this diagnosis. Um, uh, and um, uh, also because of um, 
you know, the, the diagnosis is kind of being more broadly defined. That's going to include more people into it as well. But, but, um, uh, but it seems to be increasing quite a bit. Um, we have some good treatment for folks with autism spectrum disorder. Um, um, no real medications specifically for autism, uh, but some behavioral treatments uh, based on behavior modification. Um, and it's usually referred to in this context as applied behavior analysis, which is really just kind of another name for behavior modification, which I know you know some things about. Um, anyway, uh, the um, it can be effective. Uh, the problem with it is that it often needs to be one-on-one uh, -on -one with very well-trained therapists, and so it can get to be very expensive. Um, um, but um, but it can be effective in making things better for folks. Uh, still, autism tends to be kind of a chronic lifelong disorder, um, <clears throat> but people can show improvement and uh, get better in a lot of areas. The um, last of our diagnoses is ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. <clears throat> now, um, there used to be in the DSM diagnostic system a disorder called ADD, attention deficit disorder, but that was actually dropped years and years ago. Uh, people will still use the term ADD, and I think that's because the way that ADHD is defined now is a little bit confusing because they tried to um, include several different kinds of symptoms together, but what that included is even some kinds of ADHD without hyperactivity, right? So that seems sort of weird that you could have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, but not have hyperactivity. And so I think if that's the case, then people want to tend to use the term ADD, um, when really it would still be diagnosed in the DSM as ADHD. Anyway, um, two major kinds of symptoms in ADHD are inattention and hyperactivity impulsivity. And so this comes down to uh, essentially three types of ADHD. You can have ADHD inattentive type, which is what I was referring to a minute ago as what I think people usually mean when they say ADD. You can have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, hyperactive impulsive type, or you could have a combined type with both of those kinds of symptoms. Now, um, uh, um, most commonly people have some combination of these symptoms, right? Uh, inattention, having difficulty paying attention, focusing attention, and maintaining and uh, maintaining concentration. This is going to show up in a few different ways where uh, a child with inattentive symptoms is going to have trouble with finishing their work, uh, finishing, you know, it's time to turn in their worksheets and they just have kind of lost track of time. Their mind wandered somewhere else and their work isn't really completed. Or they're also going to have difficulty with following directions because by the time you finish telling them some of the directions, their mind may have wandered somewhere else and they kind of lost that. Um, uh, inattentive symptoms, um, the child's going to be distractible or the person uh, is going to be distractible where uh, their attention is easily lured away by something else and they have difficulty with um, steering it back to where they want it to be directed to, right? So difficulty with focused attention. Um, and, um, and so they're liable to be seen by other people as, as daydreaming or just kind of being in their own world or not really paying attention to stuff, right? 
With hyperactive hyperactive and impulsive kinds of symptoms, a lot of the symptoms here are going to be a bit more obvious uh, to an outside observer, where the person's going to be fidgety, uh, moving around a lot. They're going to be essentially seeming like they can't sit still. Um, they're going to be acting on impulse, meaning that um, you know whatever comes to mind, they're going to tend to want to jump up and do, and not be able to say, "Hey, wait, let me do that later." Um, so that if you have a little kid in a classroom with a ADHD, um, they're liable to, you know, want to stick their hand up to answer a question before you actually even ask the question, or um, uh, even if they don't know the answer, they're, or even just shout out answers uh, because they can't um, uh, squelch those impulses. The child's liable to think of something that they wanted to tell their friend at recess and they didn't and they for whatever reason and they think of it in the middle of math class and so they get up and run across the room and go tell their friend something right uh, instead of being able to suppress that impulse and control their behavior so a few different kinds of symptoms here now what's a really important a really important implication of um, a diagnosis of ADHD is that the child is unable to control these things um, this is not supposed to be a diagnosis where the child could be behaving, but they're choosing not to, right? This is not a diagnosis that's supposed to be about, in a sense, misbehaving or, um, you know, being ornery or something like that. The implication with this disorder, with this diagnosis, is that the child can't control their behavior. And every once in a while, you know, you'll, you'll get, um, uh, kids, especially with ADHD who will say, you know, I'm really trying. I just can't really sit still and I can't do it. I'm really, really trying. Um, and, and I think that's an important part for this diagnosis that sometimes gets overlooked, um, because the diagnosis is liable to be thrown at people who are, you know, engaged kids who are engaged in a lot of different kinds of behaviors, but, um, but there may be something else going on there, right? Uh, uh, the, um, the other thing that that implies, if the child is unable to control their attention and their activity level, is that they would be unable to do those things across situations. That is not just in math class, but also in every one of their classes, and at recess, and at taekwondo class, and in Girl Scout meetings, across the board having difficulty with it, right? Because this is supposed to be, with this diagnosis, essentially a neurological inability to control attention, right? Um, if, if, on the other hand, these kinds of problems are happening in some situations and not others, that sort of implies that there's something else going on and that it's not necessarily a problem of being unable to do it. Maybe it's a problem of how things are set up in that situation, or maybe it could be a problem of, you know, the child's own behavior, in which case there might be some other kinds of diagnoses and other kinds of interventions. This is supposed to be a diagnosis of, I can't control my attention and, and activity level, not, I don't want to. Now, um, a lot of people find that, um, that ADHD symptoms become more mild as people get a bit older. Um, some people will, will kind of feel like they grow out of the symptoms, um, you know, around college age or uh, into young adulthood. Um, and, um, and that makes sense for some, for some things. Uh, if people do continue to have ADHD symptoms throughout adulthood, they tend to have more problems with the inattentive kinds of symptoms rather than the hyperactive impulsive symptoms. And it may be that they get better at being able to manage those hyperactive and impulsive kinds of symptoms. Uh, 
But um, but what may be going on here is that um, uh, the symptoms that um, that we're looking at here are mainly mediated in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, which is the last part of the brain to develop completely. And, you know, it is still developing in people until the age of 25. And so while people are in that range of, you know, between being born and being 25, they're going to be at slightly different levels of um, uh, maturity of their prefrontal cortex. And that's especially true because of the way that we set up our, in our education system. You know, for a cohort of kids who are like in, I don't know, third grade, third graders are usually, um, uh, how old would you be in third grade? Uh, eight, I guess. Uh, but you could really be anywhere between seven and nine, something like that, right? And, um, and between seven and nine, just that kind of age range, there could be very um, a, a lot of improvement in a child's ability to pay attention and control their activity. So what you got is if you're looking at a group of third graders as if they should all be the same, um, well, the younger kids in that group are going to look like they have more trouble managing their attention and activity level. And this is actually what some studies have found, that if they look at classroom situations, they find that the kids who are diagnosed with ADHD tend to be the younger kids in the class, tend to be the young at the younger end of that cohort. So they're being compared to older kids. So that um, so that essentially when they catch up, in a sense, later on, um, they sort of have outgrown this stuff. Um, and that sort of does make some sense. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the other thing, too, is that um, attention can be improved. Uh, it's not just that you get what you're born with, in a sense, right? We can we can hone our attention and, and improve it. Um, in the chapter on memory, when we talked about attention, if you recall, I talked about attention as having two components of, of you know, kind of a... Uh, a reflexive part of our attention, where our, our attention can be grabbed by things in our situation, like with that orienting orienting reflex, you know, some loud noise happens or something and it pulls your attention away, but that there's also a part of our attention that's willful and deliberate. Uh, and that's what we tend to talk about as concentration or focus, right? And, um, <clears throat> and so we can teach that aspect or our attention to be stronger, right? We can improve our attention and we get better at that um, as we get older, um, uh, you know, through that development. So anyway, um, let's see, uh, ADHD is often treated with medications. Um, the medications are actually stimulants, but um, that's because what seems to be happening is low levels of stimulation in the prefrontal cortex right? Causing these problems. And so the um, medications help to stimulate that to a higher level so that um, the person is able to better control their attention and better control their activity level. Right? Okay, that's about it.